before you open up your Bibles to the book of James. I'm excited to be in the Bible with you, James chapter 1. <clears throat> before we turn there, um, to start looking at it, and you can turn there physically, but I want to take a minute uh, to explain something that I should have explained last week, but I was distracted by members' meeting and all the stuff we had going on. Uh, last Sunday was what has been called Right to Life Sunday, which has been set aside by the church at large as a day to remember and mourn the evils of abortion. And for probably a decade, at least, we've set that Sunday aside as a day to preach specifically about abortion, to remember um, what it is, to speak plainly about what the Bible says about abortion as murder, to pray, to gather, to act on behalf of babies who are put to death in the womb. But last Sunday, we broke from our long pattern, and we didn't do that. Why not? Well, the reason I didn't explain it last week is because I forgot, and I was distracted. But that's not the reason we didn't do it. The reason we didn't do it was because of um, a plan and a decision that had been clearly made by the elders. And it has to do with why Right to Life Sunday has been set aside historically in mid-January. The date of January 22nd was a day of infamy, that was the day that Roe v. Wade was signed into law in 1973, falsely claiming that the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution grants a woman the right to have an abortion. With this unjust law over us and instructing, as laws do, the American people in a grievous and violent falsehood, it seems important to regularly speak about it and against it um, that the Bible is plain that abortion is murder and absolutely unacceptable every situation. But on Friday, June 24th, 2022, the wicked Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. And while that doesn't end abortion, it doesn't end unjust abortion laws, especially in our state, it is nevertheless a monumental victory that we want to continue to celebrate and rejoice over. And so the date of mid-January when Roe was signed into law is no longer significant because Roe is gone. And so we plan to continue speaking regularly about abortion in June on the anniversary of the overturn of Roe v. Wade as we celebrate, advance for the cause of life and continue to grieve against the evils of abortion. So that's why we didn't do it on January 22nd. It's not that we're not going to do it anymore. It's that we are shifting because we think dates and memorials are important. And January 22nd is over. And now June 24th is the anniversary of the overturning of Roe. And that's the day we will set aside, remember, and grieve and speak about abortion. All right. So I wanted to, to say that. I, it would have been uh, appropriate to say that last week on the day, but I <clears throat> All right, let's turn our attention to the Bible, James chapter 1, we, in verses 5 through 8, in a sermon on asking for wisdom by faith. Asking for wisdom by faith, that's the title of the sermon, James 1, 5 to 8. We'll read it together in just a minute. Um, I want to jog our memories and bring us up to speed in James. Last Sunday we saw that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials and tests of various kinds. We're supposed to count it all joy, not because we like pain, 
because we can see by faith that God is using trials to give us good things, the things we most want when we're at our best. We know that trials produce steadfastness, and the full effect of steadfastness is becoming perfect and complete. And that's what we want more than we want the avoidance of mere painful situations. Trials produce steadfastness. Steadfastness leads to becoming perfect and complete. Lacking nothing, James says. That's the place it's bringing us to, the place of being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Because we're aiming at maturity. We're straining forward into the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the trials are pushing us that way. They're pushing us into maturity. Like a drought causes a tree to push its roots deeper to get more water, which then results in a more abundant year of fruitfulness. So your trials produce steadfastness, which results in a more abundant yield of fruit for God's glory and your enjoyment. It's hard, but you count it joy because it's worth it. So if you lack spiritual things, if you lack character, if you lack virtue, if you lack steadfastness, trials can get you there by producing steadfastness, which grows to eliminating the lack. So see verse 4, James 1, 4, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. But there is another way to get what you lack. Okay? You can get it through trials, steadfastness, bringing you to perfection and completion, lacking nothing. But there's another path to getting what you lack, particularly wisdom. And wisdom is a fountain of good things in your life. And this is actually way easier than the path of trials. Are you ready for it? If you lack wisdom, you ask God, and then he gives it to you. That's it. Sounds nice, doesn't it? We rejoice in trials because trials produce steadfastness. Steadfastness brings, us, steadfastness brings us to maturity, to perfection and completion, lacking nothing. But if you lack wisdom, you can just ask, and God will give it to you generously. Let's read James 1, 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this area of lack, the lack of wisdom, God promises to make up for you just by a simple act of faith. Ask and you shall receive. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or as James will say later, you don't have because you don't ask. It's so easy to overlook this, isn't it? Because of how simple it is. How often have I wanted something and tried a bunch of stuff to get it and then realized that I hadn't just simply asked God for didn't have because I didn't ask. And here we have this promise from God that if we lack wisdom, 
We should ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to us. Before we talk about that asking and God's generosity and his lack of reproach when we ask and the importance of faith and not being double-minded, first I just want to ask, do you value wisdom enough to seek after it? If you had to rank wisdom among the various things that you value and pursue in your life, we always pursue and value different things, and so we pursue things we value more with more vigor and things we value less with last, though there are lots of different good things we pursue. So where does wisdom rank for you in what you're pursuing and what you value? What are some things you value more than wisdom that you're pursuing more than that? What are some things that you value less than wisdom but are still good and you're pursuing those? I want to take a few minutes to, to set wisdom in its proper biblical place as to how much we ought to value and pursue it so that we can rightly see the riches of what's being offered to us here in this verse. The value of wisdom from Proverbs 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire with her. Gold and silver and jewels can get you a lot of stuff, can't they? But wisdom can get you more. It says the gain from her is better. Her profit is better than silver and gold and jewels. Do you believe it? Wisdom is more precious than riches. In fact, it says nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare. When you ranked the things you value, the things you desire, the things you pursue, was wisdom right at the very top? Because the Proverbs say that nothing you desire can compare with her. Listen to a little bit more from Proverbs 3. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. What does this mean but that if you pursue wisdom, you get riches and honor just thrown in? Isn't that what happened with King Solomon? He chose not to ask for riches, but instead to ask for wisdom. And God said, because you didn't ask for riches, but instead you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to throw the riches in. Now, in this life, all the blessings are alongside persecutions. We're on the path of Christ. But these are the things that wisdom holds in her hands, and we shouldn't ignore that. Jesus will give you riches and honor, but you may have to wait for them. Jesus gives you riches and honor ultimately and everlastingly in the age to come, right? What are the streets made of and the place you're going to? Think you'll be rich? Jesus gives us all things ultimately and everlastingly in the life beyond the life under the sun. Do you want a life that's pleasant and peaceful? These are the ways of wisdom's path. 
Wisdom is a tree of life, a constant source of life and blessing. We could go on and on enumerating the blessings that are listed that come from wisdom. But let me just read you a few more of wisdom's enticements from the Proverbs. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Did you know that wisdom will keep you from adultery? Lady Wisdom says this, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently, find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, says wisdom, injures himself. All who hate me love If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You see the magnitude of what's being offered to you here. When you set in your mind a biblical view of the value of wisdom, and now for God to just say, this is freely yours for the asking. So let's ask. Let's start with verse 5. The center of the passage is, let him ask God. This passage is a call to prayer. Let him ask God. And it is a wonderful gospel promise. It begins with a condition on who to do this, who can do this. Having seen the glories that wisdom holds in her hands, who's invited to receive such a gift? Who's invited to be a companion, a close companion with this lady wisdom who holds strength and riches in her hand, whose path is a path of pleasantness and peace? Who is welcomed into intimate friendship with wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given to him. Who's it for? For anyone who doesn't have it. What price are we induced to offer to God in order to obtain such a treasure as wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and it will be given. The offer is to fools, isn't it? What do you call someone who lacks wisdom? 
The offer is to fools. The offer is to the partially wise. The offer is to any of you who lacks wisdom, any who needs more wisdom. That includes me, and that includes you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and it will be given. What price is attached to the offer? There's no price. The price has been paid. Wisdom is offered for free. All you have to do is ask for it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and let him ask God. But the proud won't ask. This is the catch. The proud won't ask. The proud will do it themselves. Thank you very much. The proud have enough wisdom on their own. They don't need more wisdom. They don't want it. They already know everything. Be careful of assuming that blessing from God means you're wise. Proverbs 28.11 says, A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. We might have earthly blessings and think that must mean I'm wise. I don't need more wisdom. I don't need to go ask. But it's not the case. Ask God and he will give it to you. The proud won't ask. Those who don't see the great value of wisdom won't bother to ask. Maybe wisdom just feels like an extra add-on to the super spiritual life that you could kind of take or leave. Wisdom, I'm going to go with salvation and righteousness and Wisdom seems like just window dressing. But that's not how the Bible presents it. The proud won't ask. Those who don't value wisdom won't bother to ask. And similarly, similarly, the fool won't know to ask. Because the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You see a man who's wise in his own eyes, there's more hope for a fool than for him. And since you're commanded to not be wise in your own eyes, we should all be keenly aware of our folly and then earnestly seek after wisdom. Read the Proverbs regularly and honestly assess yourself before them. Read through them and ask, does this demonstrate me to be wise or foolish. And wherever your folly is exposed, ask for wisdom. Those who see the value of wisdom and know their own lack hear this exhortation from James and rejoice. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And we say, hallelujah. And then we ask. And we ask again and again. And again, and we keep asking, and we keep receiving, and we keep growing in this wonderful gift from God. And so, Gospel Church, let's be a people who set ourselves to ask God for wisdom regularly, and he will give it to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who do we ask? We ask God. God is the one who possessed wisdom at the beginning of his work, the Proverbs say. She is the very first of his acts of old. God, who created all things, started by creating wisdom and then had her at his side while he created everything like a master workman. God, daily delighting in wisdom as she rejoiced before him in the creation of all things. I'm 
just quoting Proverbs 8 to you. This is the God that we're invited to ask for wisdom. Do you think God can send wisdom to you as he pleases? He can and he will. We're called to ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to you. God is the one who gives generously to all. You have life right now. God is giving that to you as we speak. You have breath in your lungs. Is your heart beating and moving blood through your body? God is giving that to you right now. God is the one who gives generously to all. You have food in your stomach. You have warmth, a home, a family, a church, friends, music, books, coffee, laughter, wisdom, money, meaning, hope, faith, love, forgiveness of sins, adoption in Christ Jesus, everlasting life, fellowship with God. God gave all of that to you. He crowns the year with his bounty. His wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Ask God who gives generously to all. Do you know God to be generous? Don't think of God as stingy. Don't think of God as miserly and withholding. Know him as he is, the one who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. The father who gives good gifts to those who ask him. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you follow Paul's argument there in Romans 8? If God didn't hold back his own son, his most treasured, beloved son, is he going to hold back anything else from you? Will he begrudge you wisdom if you ask? He gave you his son already. And I love this little phrase that James uses, without reproach. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. God's not going to insult you or reprimand you when you ask. He's going to give generously to you. For some reason, we get it in our minds that God's miserly. That even if he gives, he's going to reproach us for needing to ask. God, I'm sorry I have to ask for this. I know it's too much to ask, but will you please give? And he's, he sighs. <sighs> Again? I'm running out of things to give you. No. God is inexhaustible. His mercies are new every single morning. There's no need for shame when we ask God for what we need. Have you known people like that, though? People who will do something for you or give something you need, but the price you pay is that you have to feel kind of bad about it. It's a side helping of reproach. You ask them for help, and they kind of reluctantly agree, yeah, what do you want? What do you need? Do you know somebody like that? Do you see them in the mirror in the morning? <laughs> God's not like that. He has no bounds. He has no lack. He himself and his gifts 
are literally inexhaustible. God is infinite, boundless, inexhaustible, and graciously generous. Ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach. Our relationship with God is founded on his generosity to us, his grace to us in Jesus Christ. We ask and he gives. We must note here that there is a billion miles of difference between asking and demanding, isn't there? Asking God for what we need and demanding things from God are as far apart as heaven and hell. Demanding things from God assumes that he owes them to you. That you are the master and he is the servant. That you have earned them and he owes them. And God simply does not relate to you in that way. Because he is Lord of all, he will not submit to you as his Lord. In our sin, we want to be the Lord. We want to be in charge. We want to call the shots. We want to say, and we want God to you know, jump to when we give our commands. But that's not who he is. He is the Lord. Because he is Lord of all, he will not submit to you as his Lord. He will happily serve you as your Lord. Your Lord will serve you. It's incredible. It's amazing. Your Lord will serve you. But he doesn't submit to your demands. He submits to your requests. Let him ask God gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You must ask humbly. God won't grant you his blessings if you demand them. He won't respond to your entitlement, but he will happily give to all who humbly ask for his grace. Ask God for wisdom, and it will be given to you. There's no talk in this section about trials producing steadfastness and leading to wisdom. It's just, if you lack it, just ask he'll give it to you. It's asking and receiving. But there is one condition on this that James gives. There's one condition. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We must ask in faith. Faith is so central to our relationship with God that it's indispensable. Our relationship with God is a relationship of faith. And so without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we are called to ask in faith. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. James qualifies this promise quite heavily, making sure that we do not approach God without faith by painting a, a pretty dismal picture of the person who doubts. One who doubts is a chaotic and unstable person, like a wave that's just driven and tossed about by the wind. The picture here is not like a nice, beautiful wave crashing on the white sandy beach the tube and it's turquoise and it's peaceful. Maybe a guy's surfing on it and it's fun. That's not the picture James paints. This clearly refers to waves and swells out in the midst of a body of water that's being stirred up by the wind. Have you ever been out on a sea or a lake in a storm? 
and the wind picks up, and the wind is blowing waves, and they're, they're just, they're swelling, and they're crashing, and they're not the kind of rhythmic, just consistent waves that are crashing on the beach, but just chaos, just casting up here and there, water splashing into your boat, tossing you around. That's the kind of wave that James is talking about. It's terrible. It's chaotic. It's terrifying. That's what the person who doubts is like. One minute, asking God in the calm of faith, confidence in him, counting even the trials of hardships as joy. The next, freaking out and doubting God's power to answer the prayer or God's goodness to want to. Just chaos, just casting about. The wind blows and it blows that way. And the wind blows this way and you blow back that way. Unstable. Swelling with a feeling of confidence one minute and despairing with a feeling of fear the next. You see that God doesn't want to be approached that way? He doesn't want you to weigh and judge him according to the fickle motions of your feelings and your circumstances. He doesn't want you to weigh him by those things. He wants you to weigh him by faith, which means according to his word and his promise. Let the wind blow. Let the waves crash. He wants you to know that he does not By those who would approach him, he must be regarded as holy. I mean, it might sound harsh, but this is just the language of James. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The Lord does not want to be approached like that. The one who doubts must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. God doesn't want to answer prayers from a heart that's double-minded. We should bear in mind how much doubt offended Jesus when he was on earth. When Peter was sinking while walking on the water, Jesus took his hand and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When Thomas doubted Jesus, he showed him his marks, and then he said, Stop doubting and believe. When the waves were breaking into the boat and Jesus was asleep and they woke him up and asked if he didn't care that they were perishing, he calmed the wind and the waves and then said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It's wonderful that we see Jesus' mercy in these situations, right? He's still helping them. He's reaching out his hands to Peter. He's still showing his side to Thomas. He's still calming the wind and the waves. He's showing his mercy. He's coming in salvation It's wonderful we continue to see his mercy even when they were doubting, but we should recognize what James says here and take it seriously, that the person who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. God might choose to answer the prayer of a doubting person, but it would be presumptuous of us to expect him to answer a prayer given from a heart that judges God by our own constantly changing emotions and circumstances. You hear what the people said to Jesus when they were in the boat and the waves were breaking in. They said, do you not care that we're perishing? They were weighing God by their circumstances. That's the kind of doubting that James is talking about. Questioning God. The waves are getting high. They're starting to crash in the boat. I conclude from that, perhaps you don't care. 
God does not want to be weighed like that. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The one who doubts is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, literally two-souled. Will God do what he has promised? Yes or no? Yes, certainly. God does not accept half of our heart. Jesus does not accept half-hearted following. If we try to give God half of a heart, a double-minded man, a double-souled man, half-trusting God, half-doubting God, and calling him into question, we will not make it. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The one who doubts is double-minded and unstable or uncontrolled in all his ways. He should not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Jesus is abounding in mercy and full of kindness. But we can't use that to hide his harder sayings. You put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worth following me. James here, the person who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The one who doubts is double-minded, unstable, uncontrolled in all his ways. Being double-minded about God, being double-minded in faith, messes up every part of the Christian life. It makes us unstable or out of control in all of our ways. Unstable in all his ways. God is merciful and patient and kind. But please hear him when he says that he doesn't mess around with unbelief and half-hearted trust in him. He wants all your trust. How long will you waver between two opinions, the Bible says to the double-minded man? If the Lord is God, then trust him with all that you are and all that you have. And pray in faith. And so James says, let him ask in faith. What does it mean to pray in faith? I think there's confusion on this that gets people messed up in their prayers and in their relationship to God. I don't think that praying in faith, James says, let him him ask in faith. I don't think that praying in faith means that if you just feel confident enough, if you can just whip up enough feelings of confidence, then God will say yes to any given request you can dream up. I don't think that's what praying in faith means. If you don't know whether God is going to do something or not, say you're asking him to save a coworker of yours, a friend of yours, or you're asking him to give you a job that you would like to have, but you don't know. His word hasn't laid out whether he's going to give that to you or not. Then praying with faith means that you're certain that God is able to give that to you. He is absolutely able to do it if he so chooses. And you believe that if he chooses not to give you what you asked, it's because he sees and knows more than you. And it's his fatherly goodness towards you that's saying no. That's what faith does. Faith doesn't start to question God. I asked for this, he said no, and now I call him into question. Now I doubt his goodness and his care. 
That's doubting. The prayer of faith trusts God. That's why James later says, you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask, but you don't receive because what? You ask amiss to spend it on your own lusts. So it's not just like anything you might dream up, any lust you might come up with that you can just demand of God because you work up enough of a strong feeling that he's going to say yes, and he's therefore bound to give it to you. That's not how this works. But praying in faith means you are certain that God is able to do it, and you pursue it, and you go after it in faith, and if he says no, you trust him with that. God's a personal being. He's not a computer algorithm. Faith means you believe that God is everything he has revealed himself to be, that he is able to answer your prayer, that he delights to give good gifts to those who ask, that he invites you to go after what you want from him in prayer, like the persistent widow just relentlessly going to him and asking and asking and asking. He delights to give good gifts to those who ask. He's for you as your father because of Christ Jesus. And it means that you trust him in all his ways and all his acts. Faith in God doesn't mean simply that you demand he give you whatever enters your mind. Faith in God means you trust him supremely. So in prayer, go to God in total trust in him. Total dependence on him. Completely sold on the idea that God is faithful. He is good. He is for you in Jesus. He does all things well and that he loves to give good gifts to his children when they ask. And where God has made his will clear, like here in our passage today, then you pray with certain confidence that he will say yes and that you will have the exact thing that you've asked of him. There's a job you kind of want. You're not really sure. Maybe I want this one. Maybe I want that one. You ask. He might say no. You don't know. But when God has revealed his will to you, you pray for those things with absolute certainty that he is going to say yes, that it's as good as done. This is how 1 John 5 says it. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. And so when God promises you, when he tells you that it's his will, and he promises you that if you ask him for wisdom, he will give it to you, then you go and you ask for wisdom and you know that it's yours. You know that he's giving it to you. And then you go and you read Proverbs and you expect it to build wisdom deep into your heart and into your life. And it will show you the path to wisdom. So here God promises, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, but let him ask in faith. Faith says if you ask anything according to God's will, you know that you have it. This is his will. It's clearly revealed. Ask him with all faith, and he will give it to you. And in this asking in faith and in this giving, I don't think that God will usually circumvent the path to wisdom as he grants it to you. I think that generally God will guide you down the path to wisdom. As you ask him for wisdom, he will guide you faithfully down the path to wisdom, providing it for you. And what is the path to wisdom? What's the path that you should be looking for as you look by faith, expecting that God is giving you what you've asked, knowing that he will because you've prayed by faith, not double-minded, and well, maybe God doesn't want to give me wisdom, and maybe he's going to withhold, but knowing that he will, 
What's that path going to look like? What should you be looking for and expecting? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. You should expect an increase in the fear of God as you ask for wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom receives God's commands. So you should expect to be received, fearing the Lord and receiving his commands more and more. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10.4, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So as you walk in faith and ask for wisdom and expect God to give it, start laying up knowledge, because that's what the wise do. Proverbs 12, 16, the wise overlook transgressions. It says the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So as you look for wisdom, look to stop just venting whatever you feel all the time and all of your complaints like the fool, but look to start being more prudent and ignoring insults and just letting them roll off your back. As you look by faith to receive wisdom and expect that God is giving it to you as you ask, expect to start listening to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 12, 15. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So the path to getting wisdom includes listening to advice and accepting instruction. So as you ask God for wisdom and expect that he's going to be giving it to you, expect to be listening more, accepting instruction. Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Expect to listen to your father. Expect to listen to rebuke. Expect to be seeking out good friends. Proverbs 13.20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So expect for God to bring wise people into your life. If you're a woman asking God for wisdom, expect to be making a home. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Proverbs 14.1. Expect to be growing and building a delightful home around you. Expect to be thinking carefully about what you're doing. Proverbs 14.6 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. Or 14.16, One who's wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So expect to think about what you're doing. As you ask God for wisdom and trust that he's giving it to you, expect to speak kindly and seldom. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Expect to speak kindly. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Expect to not just throw your opinion out all the time. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Expect to become more slow to speak and quick to listen. 
The wise bring down strongholds, expect to be tearing down strongholds. Proverbs 21.22 says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. By wise guidance, you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So as you ask God for wisdom and believe that he's going to be giving it to you, expect to be tearing down more strongholds and lofty ideas that exalt themselves against the name of Christ. Waging victorious battles for the kingdom of Christ. Kids expect to get more spankings. When, when, when you ask God for wisdom, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Uh, I'm somewhat joking. As you gain wisdom, you'll actually get less and less spankings because you'll need less and less of them because the spanking is designed to drive the folly far from your heart. But that's one of those trials we learn to rejoice in because they produce steadfastness. So there's this path to wisdom that's laid out thoroughly and richly in the Bible, what it looks like. And when God gives us wisdom, he'll generally give it to us on that path. But it's also crucial and most crucial to recognize that ultimately wisdom is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you ask God for more wisdom and you believe by faith that he's giving it to you, expect more of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1. We often think of Jesus as being to us righteousness. He is our righteousness. He died for our sins. We think of him being our redemption and our sanctification. But do you think of Christ as your wisdom? And so as you ask God for more wisdom, and all wisdom is found in Christ, expect more of Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 1 says. So you will not get wisdom outside of Christ apart from him. You will get wisdom in him. Well, you say, I trust in Christ and I have all of Christ. So how can I get more of Christ? Well, it's the same as with the Holy Spirit. You are a Christian and you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit and he has filled you and yet you're commanded to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. They say being filled with the Spirit is like a sponge more than like a cup. A sponge can have water, but it can still take more water. It can have water all through it, but it can still get more water all through it. But a cup, when it has water all through it, there's no more to put in there. As you pursue Christ himself and his teachings, expect to receive even more of Christ. Expect to be filled all the more to be being filled with the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of Christ who fills you with all spiritual wisdom. Don't pursue wisdom outside of Christ. Don't pursue the wisdom of the world, which God has put to shame. We do impart a wisdom among the spiritually mature, Paul says. That is the wisdom of Christ. So pursue Christ himself by faith. Know Christ. Abide in Christ. Dig deeper into the word of Christ. Trust more thoroughly and completely in the person 
of Christ, abide more constantly and thoroughly in Christ Jesus himself, and you will abound in wisdom. As James concludes, these things are always pursued in faith. Because faith is the heart and the soul of prayer. And faith is the heart and soul of union with Christ. Without faith, we shouldn't expect to receive anything. But with faith, we pray with profound confidence that God hears us and gives us the things that we have asked of him. Christians, pray. Ask God for what you need. Bring your requests to him and watch him do wonders for you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you believe it?